Welcome to Exploring Sovereignty with Elizabeth, and we're here in studio with Tony Sane, U.S. World Cup player and CEO and founder of the Sane Foundation, and thank you for being with us, Tony. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. Uh, okay, so we've talked about soccer with you in a previous show, and you've extended what you did with soccer into a beautiful career of supporting community and building community and being responsive to the community that with in which you live. Uh, tell us, how did you come up with the Sane Foundation idea? Like, what did that, how'd that come? Um, well, you know, there's a couple, you know, key moments. And, um, you know, one was, you know, I'm, I'm in the World Cup and Mayor Kelly has Tony Sane Day. And a young lady came up to me and said, um, could you help me? And I'm like, well, I don't even live. I live in Germany. (laughs) And she's like, well, your name seems to carry a lot of weight. So, and she's like, I want to start soccer for, you know, the people at the towers over, you know, off of Snelling and um, I could use your help. I'm like, well, what do you need from me? And she was like, well, could you talk to the parks? Because I think they'll listen to you. Mm. And I'm like, okay, well, that's not hard. And then she's like, you know, I need equipment. And I'm like, well, I have an Adidas sponsorships and stuff, so I have that. And, um, you know, she's like, I need some supplies and stuff. I'm like, okay, well, how much? And it was, you know, make T-shirts or something, right? And so it was like $1,000. And I'm like, yeah, I can do that. And so it was part how, of – How old were you at this point? Uh, I was like 32. Okay. Like 2002. Okay. And um, her name was Lindsay, and she was a senior at Concordia. Hmm. And so she went and she created a soccer program for free for people in the towers up there. And she made these T-shirts that said Sane Soccer, (laughs) and she called the program Sane Soccer. And they got free equipment, and they gave her a stipend to buy the stuff. And she ran like a 12-week session. Cool. And I was like, and I talked to the city to make sure we could get the land for free. And I was like, well, that's pretty easy. (laughs) I didn't have to do anything. (laughs) And we got some stuff done, and these kids got this program. So I thought, you know what, I need to, I want to do this. Um, So then I set up the infrastructure of the organization. And then um, I started to do, like, clinics and do more, and then... Um, I, you know, we ran at the Blackhawks, a group said, you know, we have this program. Um, could we really use your name? We think it would be much better used. And I'm like, what's the program? (laughs) And it was called For All Youth. Hmm. And so it was a program to increase the participation of kids of color in sports, soccer. And they'd gotten a grant and it was like, you know, $40,000 were going to be towards scholarships. Um, towards the Blackhawks players. Um, but in order to do that, all the teams in the Greek, in the league had to agree to take, you know, cultural responsive training. Mm-hmm. Um, we had to do focus groups and say, well, if we bring a lot of members of the BIPOC community into your club, you know, are you really prepared to support them? Mm-hmm. Because I say like a diverse team, um, you know, people come from 10 countries and they totally. come in and then they go home. Right, an inclusive team is they all go to the same barbecue afterwards, yep. right? And it's not 
people coming into play and saying, well, it looks diverse, but they're really not connected. Right. Um, so, you know, I agreed to take over that program and, and work through that and, um, and then kind of give them some ideas. And I start to, I'm good at programming. And then, so then I'm like, okay, I act clearly like soccer has been good to me. I have to leverage it. Um, so then I created the foundation um, and I worked with a, a, a woman that helped me design. Like, She's like, well, what do you want to do What if you could do anything? So I wrote like, okay, here's here's my pie in the sky. Mm-hmm. And um, so what was not, it, what was included in pie in the sky? Um, everything. Okay. Um, and so if I if I was to show somebody like people say, well, did you ever know you did this? I'm like, it was in the plan. It was in the plan in 2003. Um, and so I'm like, if I can help people, these are the ways that I want to help people. And 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 so then I thought, okay, right now though. I need to come back and give back in the sport of soccer. And the more I got to think about it, um, it wasn't soccer, hmm. right? It mm-hmm. was Buzz Lagos, yeah. right? I mean, it was soccer, but what? how he helped me was, like, to grow up, right? And it was a different coach. And he coached w- me in HGRA. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't remember it, but, like, he helped start HGRA, which is the rec league. Yep. And then I was playing on co-ed. And I was, you know, just for fun. But so all these things that had to do not not soccer, I was like, okay, so it's got to be bigger than soccer. So then I was like, well, I'll just do soccer and leadership, soccer and English, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then so then I went back to school to start to study this, and I understood like the science of developmental relationships. Mm-hmm. So I said, you know what, like. What was special about me is I've always got surrounded by people that supported me mm-hmm. through these relationships. So then we have to build these relationships for others. And so then I'm like, okay, well, where where would we build those programs? And that's where kids were. So they were in schools mm-hmm. and community centers mm-hmm. and then in, like, arts and music and theater and sports class. And I'm like, you know what? I'll stick to the sports because that's what I know, mm-hmm. and I'll do community centers and schools. So we off sort of programming, and, you know, today our largest program is our Dreamline program. And, you know, at one point I think we were in, like, 16 schools and we had 45 mentors. We're funded through the Department of Education now. Um, yeah, I saw that. You uh, went to the White House for that, right? Um, the Capitol here. Capitol, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, we do partner nationally with different things, so we, mm-hmm. we've, we've been um, – we were at the um, because of our work. We got invited by our local congresswoman uh, McCollum uh, yeah. to go to the to the inauguration speech. Oh, this that, last year. Okay. So, but back to the program. So that program it it hires young people of color, um, all people, but majority of people of color, and places them in schools to act as sort of mentors, academic supports, um, and modeling for. Um, students, teachers, administrators, and and other and other people in the building. Um, in the summertime, when we're not doing that, we hire a lot of high school kids, mm-hmm. and we run free summer camps. Um, and Monday through Thursday, summer camp is free. Um, and then on Friday, all the paid high school players have their day of camp and day of service. And then um, at the community center, we um, it's kind of anything goes. I mean, we have the largest soccer dome in the 
in the state, and we have 300,000 square feet of turf without rubber. Um, <laughs> this is true. We just tested our the padding on there, and we're like number two, three, or four, you know, nationwide as far as like safety wise. Um, so we've built a great field, really focusing on the health of our community and a shortcut that's often taken in low income. But you know, there's a golf simulator there. There's a tech center. Kids come after school. They eat. They get homework help. Um, during the summer, it's eight to five. So really, anything goes there. Um, and then the last line, I think, is just our um, our nutritional services. We we do food six or seven days a week throughout the Twin Cities. So um, and the reason why we I would say I know I'm going off on a tangent. We've expand, no, not we, at all. We've expanded is at some point we realized that we were going to have better outcomes with our service if the caregivers had the same lived experience as mm-hmm. the clients. So we were really intentional about helping people um, from the same community. Um, and what we learned is that there was a lot of trauma and healing that needed to be done in those communities. And they were not always afforded the same rights and resources that the rest of the country has had. Yep. So we had to develop this model of dual track, which meant um, all of our direct service staff are in a human development program themselves. So we started to, we have six houses, right? So we started to look houses for our caregivers, um, education. Um, we have social workers for them. Um, so the organization has evolved. And I think, you know, if I, I'm going to look for this, this organizational document that I had. But I think what's, what's cool is, you know, without Mission Creep, we knew we wanted to help people in these categories, um, and we knew how to build skill sets, but we partnered or came to the community to actually build the programming that fit. And in that some in that sense, some people will say you do too much. Hmm. And I say we actually don't. We do one thing. We respond to community needs. Hmm. That's the one thing we do. You find that how you Right. Right. And you can say, well, you do food and you do soccer and you do education. I'm like, no, we respond to community needs. (laughs) And that thing will change and evolve and we will change and evolve. And so I think now we've built a public trust that people know that we're going to be for them. We're going to be there for them as their needs change and evolve. And we are someone that you can count on and worth investing in. Well, for sure. And it's beautiful because it's like a living organization instead of, you know, when you're responding to community needs, which are, you know, that's an organic living relationship. And that is what being in relationship with community entails versus like, this is what we do. And this is only what we do. Right. And it's evolving. And I think over the test of time, it will, it'll prove to be more sustainable. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, I hope that... And maybe even a model for other foundations. I, and I think so. And I think people are starting to to look at replicating it. And the thing about replicating is it's replicating the ideology. Because if you move it somewhere else, it's going to look different because the needs of that community are, are going to be different. Mm-hmm. But do you do you base it on the same values and, and, and prioritization of responsiveness? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's important. And part of being responsive is staying present with what's before you, because that's constantly changing. And to your point about like healing the trauma, which is, I think, a large part that can get in the way of being able to be responsive to what is actually before you. um, 
because oftentimes people are living in their past traumas in that present moment, which is influencing their reaction. So you're astute to start to think about how do we support healing trauma so people can actually be their fullest, best selves and using their gifts and talents to support them and their connection to community and not stuck in a past trauma and reacting in that present moment based on that past trauma. Right, and I think that's something where I've learned. Um, I'm not an expert, but we've had some amazing staff that have got us to understand that we do need to prioritize that, and that's why we're really investing in the people that we that mm-hmm. we work with um, to do that. And actually, I was on a call this morning, and a big piece of it was just about that. And you know, as we as we talk about, you know, described as mental health, right? Mm-hmm. You know, um, what is our well being, right? And mm-hmm. I think some communities are are re-traumatized by the idea of anything clinical to begin with, right? Totally. What, what's the stigmatism? Instead of like, you know, what are supports that are going to make people feel and be, you know, healthier? And how do you create a place? This is, I guess, from my work that I'm always considering is what's that balance of like creating a safe place for people to start to heal, but also take appropriate risks so they can continue to grow because safety overdone prevents growth and risk overdone prevents, you know, creates harm, prevents growth. Right. And so it's like an infinity sign of like (laughs) safety, growth, risk, and, you know. Yeah. And I, and I, you know, when you look at it is, you know, even the science that says, you know, failure is the biggest way to grow. Right. And Mm -hmm. so, if you fall and you can get up, like you build resilience. You try something in a sport and it doesn't and you keep trying, right? Mm-hmm. But if you fall too far, mm-hmm. right, or if you don't believe you can get up, mm-hmm. then you won't try, mm-hmm. right? So it's a matter of like, you know, letting people fail, pushing them enough mm-hmm. and believing in them, letting them fail with the security blanket knowing that, that they, they know that like, like you're, you still got them. Mm-hmm. And so that's how we expand our boundaries by by trying things. Mm-hmm. And help people heal their coping mechanisms that right. might be getting in the way of their talents and gifts. Right. Because once they know that some of their needs are met and that they can be held in good relationship and connection and they can try things and fail without nothing too bad happening, right? then a whole different... Um, side emerges right you see creativity and you know a big word probably that is trust right when people people trust that it's okay to make mistakes yeah right and and especially in this current cancer culture like if there are people who authentically really want to you know connect and and they are looking to recognize and honor other people but if they're so scared to talk in the beginning right then they are not going to move or learn mm-hmm. because they're worried if they say the wrong thing, mm-hmm. right, they're going to be punished in a way where it goes against the very nature of what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. For sure. Well, we're going to continue this conversation as we return from break, but this is Exploring Sovereignty with Elizabeth and Tony Sane, who is joining us in studio um, who played as a U.S. World Cup player and is 
parlaying all that into being CEO and founder of the Sane Foundation. I'm Elizabeth Sullivan, owner of Soma Soul Sovereignty. I teach people to transform and heal their bodies, minds, and spirits and manifest higher consciousness. My hope with Soma Soul Sovereignty is that you open up to the power to heal yourself. We believe the power to heal is within each of us. It supports us coming home to ourselves and our authenticity. The alchemy of Soma Yoga, Ayurveda, energy medicine, and multidimensional healing is a synergistic approach that supports this self-healing state within and around us. It is filled with common sense and a deep understanding of the beauty for life and consciousness. It reminds us that our true divine nature is light aligned with love, and when we orientate toward it, much releases, heals, and transforms. Experience the power and freedom within and ways to support your body, mind, and spirit being unified. Soma Soul Sovereignty, awaken to your light within. For more information, visit elizabethsullivan.love or somasoulsovereignty.com. That's somasoulsovereignty.com. At some point, we've all probably felt like we're stuck in a rut when it comes to our health. Whether it's something physical, digestive, or emotional, you may have even gone to the doctor only to feel like the root causes weren't being addressed. So why not try another approach? This is Dr. Erica Way with Beyond Chiropractic. I'm a holistic practitioner that will take the time to empower you to transform so you can manifest your optimal life. At Beyond Chiropractic, we use QNRT, Quantum Neuro Reset Therapy. QNRT resets the brain's response to emotional triggers by addressing past and present trauma. By resetting the brain's response to emotional trauma, you can clear the way for your physical body to heal. Don't let unresolved issues hold you back. Go to beyondchiropractic.com and discover the answers your health deserves. Find out more and how to book an appointment at beyondchiropractic.com. Welcome back to Exploring Sovereignty with Elizabeth. We're in studio with Tony Sane, U.S. World Cup player and CEO and founder of the Sane Foundation, which um, we've been exploring how much that foundation does, but at the core of it, it does one thing, which is community responsiveness. And you have shared with us in studio this original document that you wrote 22 years ago? Yeah, in 2004, yeah. 2004. So 19 years ago. 19 years ago. And uh, really, you've managed to hit the, you know, for those who are listening and not watching the video of this, it's uh, 16 boxes, and you've managed to hit 14 really strong, and two are still emerging. Yeah. Uh, what do you when you look at this? I mean, you could have easily, you know, had your professional career and retired and gone about and done your thing, whatever that was. And instead, you sat down and you wrote this pie in the sky thing of what you wanted the foundation to be. And 19 years, I mean, when you sit here looking at this 19 years later, what do you think? Go big or go home. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> um, you know, I think, you know, this line of work is very therapeutic for me in the fact that in soccer you you 
you reflect on the game and it's very short lived and um but the next morning you're practicing and if you don't stand out like you're not gonna play. Which is also one of my faults. Um I think in life here, um, no matter how big of a food distribution you had or how many kids came, um, the next day when you look at the world that we live in today, unfortunately, you know, the list of people needing support is huge. So it keeps you motivating to keep going. And I think for me, that works really well. I think one of the challenges is like, I don't know if that works for all my staff. And, you know, I think it's different. I say to people, what do pro basketball players do in the off season? Right? They go home and play basketball with their friends. No one would ever say, why are you still working? You're on vacation. Right? Mm-hmm. Because they love their job and they don't see it as it. Well, I am just a person that, like, this is my other soccer. Like, I enjoy doing this. I enjoy building. Um, and so for me, when I'm doing this 15 hours a day, it means, like, if I could play soccer 15 hours a day without it hurting my body, I would. Right. right? And so this is the same type of energy I get when I do it. I think the hard thing is understanding that not everybody in this work has the same passion and has mm-hmm. found their one true love. Mm-hmm. Um, and then secondly, I think in soccer, you know, when you play a game, like you win the championship, you know, you celebrate with your team after every win, mm-hmm. right? Even in good plays and practice, like mm-hmm. you made a big deal, everyone, you know, like it's like high five, out, then. High yeah. five right? Um, and for some reason, celebrating that muscle hasn't transferred in this line of work with me. So Do you if, have to make up some celebrations? I think so because, you know, <laughs> you know, I think there's so much to do and somebody might say, we got a $2 million grant and I'm like, oh, awesome, right? And then I'm like, well, what are the four grants do at the end of this week so we make sure we get them? And I think the way that it gets taken is, well, we're never going to satisfy, the, you know. And it's not that I don't recognize, you know, but I've – I've been poor, I've needed food, I've seen that, so my push to keep going. But I, it is something that I think, and, you know, my friend Amy's in the studio, so I think um, I would say, you know, to the staff, like, I do recognize how awesome they are. I just haven't figured out how to how to high-five and how to celebrate each win like we do on the soccer field Yeah, um, as it translates into this work. Yeah, I mean it's curious how to how to consider making celebrations with your staff, right? Right? I mean, because it's important. Like I'm looking at all these boxes. There's, you know, after school weekend sports programming, community capacity building, access to resources for community programs, standards of excellence, life skills programs, sports programs, education and tutoring, access to a safe place advocacy research which are areas that are still emerging but like that's a lot and i might challenge you (laughs) to figure out ways to create celebrations with you and your staff yeah i mean that is it is because you're doing some brilliant work here yeah and i think for me how i celebrate and how others are maybe different right and i think a lot of people look at me and say well you're so humble and you know you're soft-spoken 
And I'm like, I was a professional athlete. You can't be humble. Correct. Right? Not You have to have a certain drive to get to that. Right? You have to go into every game. You know, you have to play against Messi and believe that you're going to beat him. Love him. So, like, there's, like, no, you know, and if you think for a second that he's better than you, like, you you you, you won't win. You've lost, yeah. You've already lost, right? Right. And you got to be like, oh, he's got a great career, but I'm better than him today. Right? Did you love playing against him? Uh, you know, I, I like – no, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. Fair. But okay. not, not for the reasons that you would think, you know. I, you know, I was a good athlete. So I actually was not worried about, like, Messi, like, dribbling by me or doing this other stuff, um, you know, as of containment, you know. But when you play Barcelona, they're such a high-pressing team. Yes. And so they play with three forwards. And so the worry was that when you had the ball, you were so nervous because you knew if you lost it, you were out of position and you wouldn't be able to make up ground and they were too dangerous. But Fair. if they had the ball going through the regular game and you were organized, it wasn't an issue. But the issue was, like, where are you going to be when they when your team loses the ball? And so every time you had the ball, you were nervous because you're like, okay, I'm dribbling by the guy. He's five yards over there. Not a big deal. But you started thinking about what's going to happen when I lose it, not what I'm trying to do with it, right? And then from that, you know, that self, you know, whatever prophecy. Then right. Next thing you know, you're making mistakes because you're telling yourself not to. Correct. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, here with the foundation – You've been willing to try different things. You've been willing to make some mistakes and keep trying and keeping the ball moving uh, to the responsiveness of the community. And so what have been some, like, asks or things that have surprised you that the communities needed? Because your outreach is pretty... I, I would say the level of need for food and basic services in this country is, you know... One, it's shocking, and two, it's it's irresponsible as a society that we have Agree. that level of need with the resources we have in this country. Um, I would I would say you know um, it it's also been challenging, like information and trust, right? Like how big trust is a factor in communities, and having positive access to information. I mean, of all the camps I do everywhere, the one I sign up at Pearl Park, which is probably the most affluent neighborhood, fills up the fastest and it's the biggest because the parents have access to the information. They do it once ahead of time. When I go to a lot of low-income neighborhoods, I have to convince the parents that this is a safe thing because they haven't had good, um, good experiences with community members. And so I think our food group grew really big because our relationships transferred over to the community mm-hmm. and they were, were happy coming out. But that's what is, is, is what the biggest surprise is like the lack of, of trust, um, based on sort of like years of, of, of abuse and, um, mm-hmm. you know, inequities of information and resources in some communities. So everyone thinks like there's a catch, right? Mm-hmm. Like you want, you know, like, it's free soccer program. Well, it must be bad or it must be, you know, like, no, there's no catch, right? Like, matter of fact is, you know, you'd be surprised if I do one in the, you know, most affluent neighborhood in the Twin Cities, it's going to sign up and there's going to be hundreds of kids there. So I think that's that's been the biggest surprise. 
And how have you found ways, so through food distribution, it started to build trust, but are there other ways that the foundation and or community members like myself can support building right. trust? Well, one is um, is higher from within the community, mm-hmm. right? So the more people on your staff that are connected to the communities and higher people from the communities you work in is the easiest way um, to build trust. That makes sense. Um, and then uh, the other way is is through experience. So you got to show up. Um, you got to meet people where they're at. You got to have conversations. Like nothing happens overnight. Um, and I think you know people matter. And I think every conversation um, you learn about somebody, and you 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 know. I mean, you can't tell, but you can tell. I mean, when you talk to somebody, mm-hmm. you know, you you say, okay, like that's a soul, that's somebody I want to connect with. Mm-hmm. You know, you start to think about ways you connect with them. What could you do for them? What could they do for you? And then, you know, partnerships rise. So you gotta you gotta stay connected and and make yourself or the organization accessible to um, community engagement. Yeah, for sure. What inspires you to keep going? Um, I'm competitive. (laughs) Um, honestly, what inspires me is, is, you know, recently, you know, when I have my down days, you know, my, my, uh, you know, when my dad came and visited me at the community center, like he fell to his ground and he started, you know, he's Muslim, he started praying and he just said, you know, thank you, Lord. Like all my dreams have come true. Hmm. Right. And, you know, he, when he saw me in the World Cup, he went and gave out dollar bills and he was like, that was cool. Right. Like my son's in the World Cup. But when he came to the community center and saw what we were doing there, he literally started praying and getting thanks because that he said, like, there's nothing more than he wanted in life was then to have a family. Well, um, and then, you know, my mom was a social worker for 42 years. And, you know, I just watched the way that she navigated and. She was doing healing circles 20 years ago. Cool. You know, she was bringing the talking stick into Ramsey County, and she was kind of thought of as like the funny lady. Um, I love her already. But, you know, to hear her kind of say to me, like, you know, like, I'm so proud of, like, who you've become and what you're doing. And, um, you know, when I have my tough days and she's like, you know, she'll hold me really tight. And I'm like, I want to do this project kind of big. And she'll be like, wait, who said you can't do that? She's like, stop listening to people. You do what you want to do. Um, and I think at a young age, she told me to do what I wanted, and I believed her. And so, you know, those inspire me knowing that I'm I'm making two people that created me very proud. And then also, like, you know, just to see, to see the community that we built, right? And it's not perfect by any means. But I think if people really know us, you know, we get the benefit of the doubt to say, here's a group of people that their number one intention is to give back and help others and show up. Um, and now, you know, you know, we've, you know, I, I would say like I've become more of a mini celebrity for people, you know, that I could be in a room and they won't even know me, but they'll talk about like the work that the organization does because it's so impactful and now it's it's 
ingrained in their everyday life. So that's what inspires me to see that the effects that it's having on people. And, and now it's become generational. We're starting to see like the groups of kids that were in our program come back as adults as well. That's cool. How can people find more information about the Sane Foundation? Let's give a shout out at the end of this segment. They can call our second best employee, Amy. Um, and, <laughs> Amy's in the room. <laughs> and, and they can go to the website. And, you know, also, like, we do some tours. So I think we'll do some tours to learn more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a volunteer sometimes is, you know, come volunteer for a couple hours with one of our food distributions and then just get to know some people. And through that, it's a great way to gather information. Um, or we have, like, you know, we have a gala. We have a golf tournament. We have a bags event. And we have a lot of community events as well. Um, and, and some focus groups. So just, you know, take the first step in getting to know us in, in some capacity. Awesome. And what's the website for people? Um, www.thesanefoundation.org. And that's S-A-N-N-E-H. Yes. Awesome. Well, we're going to continue talking with you about the Sane Foundation and all the incredible things it does and all the different ways it does. And it's really stunning to see your original document from 19 years ago uh, and how much that has manifested. And it speaks to what intention and deliberate action with kindness and compassion can really do to light a fire in a community. So this is Exploring Sovereignty with Elizabeth. We're in studio with Tony Sane, and Amy's here too. <laughs> the second best employee, although she might she might say she's the first. Damien's the first. That's her son. He's, oh, he comes and helps in certain Fair, ways. fair. We'll be back. Would you like to create more freedom in your life? Developing higher consciousness and sovereignty is the currency for that freedom. Transformation expert Nancy Claremont Cart with the Joy Effect empowers leaders to transform their lives and impact using conscious leadership principles. Nancy is offering a transformational eight-week group coaching program, Conscious Leadership Transforms, starting October 24th to help leaders create more joy, abundance, and freedom. Register now at nancyclaremontcart.com. At the School for Higher Consciousness, we are committed to raising the level of consciousness on the planet by educating and empowering people to grow, evolve, and live well. We are dedicated to supporting people through this critical time on the planet. Our classes provide a path that deeply connects you to your inner power and higher levels of consciousness. We inspire, teach, and empower people to develop the skills and practices needed to energetically heal, grow, and connect more fully to their life purpose. Learn more at schoolforhigherconsciousness.com, schoolforhigherconsciousness.com. Does your child struggle with sensory issues? Do they fight getting dressed in the morning, or are they anxious to go to school? Are they easily overwhelmed and overstimulated by lights and sounds? At Whole Family Chiropractic, we love helping parents understand why their child is struggling, and more importantly, how to help. We use safe, gentle, and effective neurologically-based chiropractic to help your child's brain feel calm, safe, and organized. For more info, visit sensoryhelpmn.com. That's sensoryhelpmn.com. This is Exploring Sovereignty with Elizabeth. We're in studio with Tony Sane, the U.S. World Cup player and CEO and founder of the Sane Foundation. Amy's here, too, as support. 
and brilliance in the room. And uh, we're talking about um, the Sane Foundation and how the idea 19 years ago um, from an invitation by a woman named Lindsay at Concordia College grew to what it is today and different ways that you have um, taken like your vision, your dream, and actually kind of flipped it so that you are responsible you know, it's infusing it, but you're responding to the community versus just it being your vision and dream, that that is part of your vision and dream. Yeah? Exactly. And so some of the things you've done uh, is also, like, making soccer accessible to many across the Twin Cities, and I would even say the world. Um, But you're also doing some um, extra support for women athletes and girls in the sport of soccer. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? I'm a big believer that everyone should have access, boys well, and girls. Right. Well, we we have a girls' first program. Um, and, you know, and it started off kind of in, in Haiti, too, where, you know, we started a program, and next thing you know, they're like, well, there's no girls. And we're like, what do you mean there's no girls? They're like, well, um, a bunch of reasons. And then so I'm like, well, we we have to do this. And so um, next thing you know, they said, well, the girls don't have shoes to play soccer. Hmm. So we're like, all right, buy all the girls' shoes. Right? So, you know, the shoes are like 2 or $3 a piece, so it's not a lot. And so they buy 120 pairs of shoes. And I'm like, so it's, what's happening? And they're like, well, the girls want to use the shoes for school. The cleats? Well, they weren't cleats. They were oh, just like were more of sports shoes sure. and different shoes, right, in Haiti. And then they were like, well, I'm like, fine, buy the girls another pair of shoes then. So we bought them another pair of shoes. And they're like, well, you know, the girls have to do their chores. And I was like, you know what? Um, we're going to close the whole program down. When we have girls here for 10 days in a row, then we can start up the boys program. And 14 days later, they're like, we can start the boys. <laughs> right? So they made it a priority to recruit, support get the equipment to do it. And so I think it was just about being intentional. Was and that in Haiti or here that was, in that was St. Paul? That was in Haiti. Okay. Um, and then eventually, like, we used to have a boys team that came every year. And then, you know, we, the, you know, and I was nervous about um, having girls come here. And, I, and honestly, it was a lot harder as well, um, just externally in some of our, um, uh, I don't want to call them myths, but also just the way people were acting around um, trafficking and kids and stuff. So yeah, that's it, a huge concern. It, it was a much much harder to get the girls to travel um, with, with government embassies. But um, the girls were like, wait, wh- why don't we ever get to go to America? And the boys do every year. And we're like, well, because of these reasons. And then we thought about it. And, you know, and then the girls started to come too. So we switched it every other year. Um, and then so here as we develop programming – you know, we the sports program, the soccer team, you know, was blossoming, but there wasn't like high participation. So we kind of had to do the same thing and said, you know what, we're slowing down programming, and we cut off our boys' team until we we had a viable girls' team and academy, and I had a full time staff just working with the girls' program and um, and to make those um, to grow it. And today, it's cool to see you know the girls that have come through our program and gone on to college or just really feel like they have ownership in some of the areas at the field. So it's great to see. That's awesome. So you have a girls team in St. Paul and a boys team in St. Paul, but also in Haiti still? Yes. Amazing. 
Um, what is, what are some of the things you've learned from that experience? Um, well, I, I think what, I, what I've learned is, you know, especially with everything happening with the U.S. national team and equal pay, um, and, you know, um, what I've learned is you have to be intentional and, um, things are the way they are because they were designed that way. Mm-hmm. And so if you're going to change things, you have to take in the account that they were designed that way. Mm-hmm. So like a common argument, like, well, nobody watches girls sports, right? Well, we've been conditioned not to. Correct. Right. And you would say, you know, the quality is improving, but even in any sport, like you look at USA soccer, right? It's improved now because more people play, right? Right. Um, over time, and we and so we have to like invest in it intentionally, and over time, if we want to see like the equality, and and we have to recondition ourselves to understand like what is is exciting, right? I mean, mm-hmm. years ago, at some point, right, human nature had you know gladiators that killed each other. Mm-hmm. And you know, we decided that that wasn't something. And then, for a lot of people, that's gross now, right? Mm-hmm. But th- we conditioned people to believe that that was exciting. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if we really can um, condition by exposing to opportunity to access, you know, when I when I work and I was in Cote d'Ivoire recently. Um, working there and, you know, how excited the girls were and the parents were. And I asked the men in the village, I said, do you think the girls are happy that they got to play? And they go, oh, my God, I haven't seen them smile this much ever. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you care about, oh, yeah, we love them. They're our wives or sisters. Okay, so the people that you love the most have the most excitement and happiness playing this, but you don't think it's like, Right, like you see the disconnect, yeah. Right, and so mm-hmm. then you start to connect the dots for them, um, where their communities can can invest in it. So what I've learned is you just have to be really intentional, and then also in a lot of other cultures, um, it's it's a thin line you, to navigate cultural norms. Yeah, um, and you can still follow cultural norms, um, and um, give people opportunity and access. Yeah. And it's a beautiful sport. Right. I think everyone should be playing. Amy's kid plays football. <laughs> <laughs> we can talk about that too. I grew up in a football house of the American kind before all my boys discovered the football of the beautiful sport kind. <laughs> but yeah. What um what are some of the things you're hoping to do next? Well, again, like as we we evolve, um, you know, looking at supporting our caregivers. So, again, we have six houses, and so I would like to build a larger housing complex or, you know, of this idea of like, um, you know, a couple of years ago, like people were like, what do you do? We, we just do good, right? And I would, I, I would, I would like to – Build a do-good village, right? And so I'm working on trying to build like 100 units of housing cool. um, on university um, so that 
people that come to work with us, we can invest in them for stability. But then also we can offer discounted um, rents and supportive housing to educators, people that work in other nonprofits, basically jobs that have a public benefit. Um, and the idea is that if you put all these good people together with these minds, like to think about the things that they're going to discover from a community aspect, I think will really help push where we go in the future. Um, another project, we're going to expand the community center at Conway, where I think we're, we're exploring building a child development center. Um, and, you know, we start to hire more people and, you know, we had a women's, all women's EMS academy and a bunch of the ladies didn't graduate because of childcare. And we also have a, some young men that bring their kids to school to work on their lap. And so we look at the, here's a need that we've, that we've found through our community engagement. And, um, we think that we can, um, have a role in putting resources into it. Both of those are amazing synergistic opportunities for, you know, to grow a collective consciousness that actually shifts people into what is totally possible within everyone's potential to rise to and to benefit the younger generation, too, by being near their parents. Right. That's cool. Work in progress. Work in progress. A few more boxes up on the screen. I mean, it falls within, actually, what you have up here. And I don't know where housing really falls, but... Mm, I'd put housing under community capacity building. Okay. Wouldn't you? Probably. And life skills program. Can you... uh, Is there one more row of boxes above that? Yep, let me bring that up. Hold on. And yeah, there we go. And access to a safe place. Right. Yeah. It's hard to do anything if you don't right. have a little bit of grounding under you. Right. True. Yep. Yeah. I mean, you can do stuff, but you might be doing it in a compensatory pattern. Right. That maybe isn't what could be fully right. fully done. Um. If you could give our youth, you know, that are getting ready to go off, you know, just our youth a message of, like, what you hope for them or how they can, you know, rise. Like, let's say they're in a challenging situation. What What's a message you could give to them or share with them? Um, I would say, you know, Learning to advocate and find support is a really valuable skill, and I know it's scary, but that's something that, you know, if you're willing to ask, eventually you can find someone to to support and help. Um, When things are challenging, I would say, you know, the worst thing, and some things are hard to talk about, but the worst thing that you you can do is try to do it by yourself. Yeah. I think there are a lot of people out there that, that want to help. And I know it gets frustrating sometimes, if, you know, on your sixth or seventh call. But um, I would say giving up on other people is the same as giving up on yourself. So you got to go find answers um, and and stay the course and um, surround yourself with people that believe in you, um, that, that, that support you and, 
make you feel, you know, like they're going to go bad for you. Yeah. I mean, you seem to have done that. Work in progress. Work in progress. <laughs> and uh, what about to, to those people that might think that their dream is too big? Um, I'm not I mean, nothing's, to, nothing's I'm not, too big. I'm, I'm not going to swear, so. But <laughs> I, I would say... I would say that, um, you know, that's – unfortunately, you know, people are going to put down anything that they can't comprehend. And I would just say that those people, you know, have a lack of a lack of vision. Um, and not everything has to be done overnight. But I will say is there's a difference of, of having a dream that's unattainable if you're unwilling to – do what it takes. Yeah. Right? So you can't say that you want to be a PhD and fail all your high school classes. Right. right? Like that's that's not realistic. It's not an alignment. Right? It's not alignment. So yeah. so make sure your dreams are aligned to your actions and you're willing to do the stuff. You know, right now I guess this is what I would tell the audience. I meet a lot of people right now that hate their jobs hmm. and are looking for career changes. And I actually – you know, probably see the joy in my face and say, I want to be able to help people. Yeah. Right. But then they come in it and say, I need to make this much money. I need to do this. I'm like, wait, hold on a second. Like, <laughs> like you don't get to pick the job to pay to this. Right. Right. Cause you know, otherwise like I, I would be a concierge at a hotel and pay myself $2 million a year. Right. And, <laughs> right? and everyone that asked me a question, I'd give them a hundred bucks to say, you know, here's a restaurant you should go to. And you know, meals on me, right? Right. But so it doesn't it doesn't work that way. So you have to be realistic about what are your priorities, right? Yeah. Like, like you know, like you can buy things and you can buy experiences and time, but you 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 have to figure out what's most important to you. And most time, it it it, it works out. But if you're not willing to invest in yourselves. I mean, some people can start working right away and make money, and some people, you know, go four hundred thousand dollars in debt going to college for four years, mm-hmm. right? So, yet people will go four hundred thousand dollars to college, but they won't um, take a thirty percent pay cut to learn a new field of work hmm. that's gonna, you know, mm-hmm. that they can, you know, build a lifelong of happiness. So, I think it's being honest with what you want and what you're willing, but you can't keep um, you. You do have a choice. Yeah. Right? And there are many jobs that are more fulfilling than the one you currently have. Um, and I find doing what you love, right. even if it means some sacrifice at the beginning, ends up benefiting both right. yourself and right. all the people, your community. And it's a response to your community to be your best. Exactly. And then, yeah. I, and, you know, I just saw this, I think it was on Oprah and someone else, like just how we measure happiness, right? So. At the end of the day, how you're really going to measure your happiness isn't going to be around those things. So um, figure out what you love and, and how you personally measure your happiness. Absolutely. And so where can they get involved? At the Sane Foundation. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. org. S-A-N-N-E-H. Definitely check it out, get involved, take action, be responsive to your community, and be engaged. This is Exploring Sovereignty with Elizabeth, and Tony, Sané, and Amy is in the room (laughs) with us, helping us out. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Thanks for all the good work, too.